Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our great friends at MyBookie. Things are getting real in the college ball season, and there's no better time for you to get in on all the action than right now. All you have to do is go to mybookie.ag, use our promo code UGA if you're a new user, and you can get a 50% bonus on your first deposit. But hey, if you'd rather have a cash bonus, they've got that option for you too. Just use the promo code 200cash when you sign up for a new account, and you'll get a 10% cash bonus added straight to your account. No strings attached. Just bet your first deposit, and that money is yours to do what you want with it. So jump in on all the action today while you still can at my bookie. But all right, guys, I am your host, Tyler. And back with me today, of course, as he is each Sunday night, is my longtime co-host, Curtis. And how about them dogs what a win baby 52 17 outgained Ole Miss 611 to 352 total yards it was tight early 14 14 through the first quarter or so but then we reel off a 31 to nothing run from the 14 16 mark in the second quarter to the 850 mark in the fourth quarter complete and utter domination for about two and a half quarters to wrap up that game And you guys listened to me talk about this game last week. You know, I thought that we would win the game. I thought that we would cover. I thought we would cover the 34.5 point team total, which I actually put a little little, little money on. I'm usually very loath to bet on our team because I am weird like that and I have inexplicable, irrational superstitions. And so I usually try to stay away from that, but I'm getting older, so I'm trying to move away from that a little bit. And I saw the team total at 34.5 and it's like, huh? 34 and a half, you kidding me? I can't pass this up. So yeah, I thought we'd win. I thought we'd cover. I thought we'd cover the team total. But I am not going to lie to you. I did not expect this type of domination. I thought we were capable of it. I think we're capable of doing this to just about anyone in the regular season. But we haven't seen our A game all that often this year. And so going into this game against a top 10 opponent... I didn't know if we would get that type of performance. We haven't seen it all that often this year. We saw against Kentucky earlier this year, and I don't know if we've really seen a full-on A performance outside of that the rest of the season. But last night, we got it. We got that Georgia fastball, and when we are bringing the heat like that, I will say it, guys, there is no one that can beat us. Now, we don't always play like that, but if we do, I don't think anyone in America is beating us. But again, 
I didn't know it would go down like that. Not shocking because we are the better football team. We are the far more talented football team. So not shocking, but certainly a little surprising. But Curtis, I want to get your take here. What about Saturday's game surprised you the most? I actually have to say our defense. That I think that that was the one part I was not expecting. I thought I thought we would win, but I thought it'd be about a ten to a thirteen point game somewhere in that range. Yeah. That I thought like it was good because we outscored them. I expected our offense to do well, not as well as we did. But honestly, I just didn't expect our defense to play as well as they did. I thought we win by two or three touchdowns, but I didn't see a 35-point just demolition of Ole Miss. Didn't see that. Now, again, like it, now that we sit back and look at it, but, well, yeah, I mean, I know we're capable of that, right? But I didn't expect it coming to the game. So, yeah, the defensive performance, it's an offense that – I mean, of course, that's what they do, right? That's what Ole Miss is about. Exactly, and that's why I just football. did not see that coming like that. Yeah, I didn't see it at all. I mean, and that's a curse. That is a really – I stand by it. I know 17 points, holding with 352 yards. I'll stand by it. That's a really good offensive football team. And we just we, – we brought the heat, man. Like, we brought that vintage Georgia defensive performance, which is what I said that we were going to need all last week. It's when we play this team, the way they run the football and the things that they're able to do, the way they try to challenge you with the eye discipline, we need a vintage defensive performance, particularly a defensive – run defense performance in this game against Ole Miss. And we got that. Like we know we don't have Jalen Carter, man. That's well doc. We don't have guys like that on the interior. But we needed those guys to some way somehow pull that kind of poor performance out. And I think we largely got that. Now it wasn't perfect. They had some moments where they were able to run, run the football obviously in the first quarter, jumped out to the the seven nothing league, 14 points in the first couple first three drives there. So it wasn't perfect altogether. But after that point, Curtis, after they scored 14 points to tie it up there at 14 all they basically could not move the football. They could not really do anything the rest of the game, at least in meaningful actual timeout. I was going to say, but, I think – I'm not sure if this is correct, but I heard that after that touchdown on the first play of the second uh, quarter, they only had 55 total yards of offense until garbage time. Yeah, actually, I think it might even be better than that. According to my numbers – now, this is my calculation. Somebody go double-check me on this. But after they scored that second touchdown and tied the game at 14-14, their next five full drives – they had that one drive right before the half. They had one play. I'm not going to count that. But their five full drives after that, after they tied it at 14-14, they had 36 total yards over the course of those five drives. And that's when we went on a 31 nothing run to push it to 45-14. And I call this garbage time. We're up 45-14. They go on a 13-play drive, get 63 yards, and kick a field goal. But five drives, 36 yards. I'm with you, man. That defensive performance is a really good Ole Miss, defense, Ole Miss offense. I think that was, um, that was huge, man. Obviously huge in a big game like that. For me, though, Curtis, I'm going to go the other side of the ball. What surprised me the most was how dominant our offensive line was. Curtis, what we saw out there last night in Sanford Stadium, that was a Joe Moore award caliber performance, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I I will agree with you on that, that the offensive line really surprised me. Um, just in the fact that, you know, we talked about it last week in the recap show after Missouri, um, were we worried about the run game? And we said maybe a little bit, uh, but the biggest thing was just, the def, you know, the style of defense they played, and now I think that this game really showed why um, I wasn't as concerned because the offense line, this is what they're capable of doing. And this is one of the reasons we've been so frustrated all year. Again, I don't want to speak for you, but speaking for myself, and I, and I know you, we talk about this a lot, so I know you're also sharing these frustrations. The offensive line has been very inconsistent up and down this year. It's been extraordinarily frustrating because 
like we've been saying all year, Curtis, we returned four of five starters from the Coastal playoff last year. We know what this unit's capable of. I know Marius Mims went down in game three, and that's been a struggle, right? You, you, we're playing some guys out of position, namely Xavier Trust. So there have been some circumstances there. But the fact remains, we've had all these guys back that have significant playing time for us. And I'm not saying it's been a train wreck all year. It hasn't, but it certainly has not been to the standard that I think we were all expecting coming this season where this, people were talking about this is one of the best offensive lines in the country. And it should have been all season one of the best offensive lines in the country, and it has not been that. But I think we are starting to hit our stride a little bit, Curtis. You're right. The Missouri game, I know people were a little frustrated. You know, only 131 yards rushing. We kind of had to grind it out there. But over the years, Curtis, under Kirby Smart, you know, maybe it's just me getting older. I don't know. I've learned to not get too worked up about like what happens in one particular game. And that's kind of how I thought about Missouri. You're right. Like, you know, Missouri played us in a very different way defensively, very different than how we really ever get played defensively. Um, and we talked about that last week. And that creates issues for us. It's created issues for us the last two weeks. Now the question becomes, why don't more teams try to do that? And Ole Miss tried to bring the pressure. Because honestly, what happened in this game, Ole Miss was trying to get aggressive like Missouri did. But we were able to block it up, and we were able to get past the first and second level, and they had nobody back then in the secondary, and we had some explosive runs, which we really have not seen a ton of all year. And we were just biting off chunks of yardage in the run game with those explosive plays because they were trying to get aggressive like Missouri. They just didn't quite have the personnel that Missouri had. And also, I think it benefited us seeing what Missouri was able to do to us and how they attacked us defensively. And I think we had some better answers for it in this game. We did use more 12 personnel in this game because we had Brock back. We did attack the edges a little bit more in this game. So I think we had some answers. But I do think that they were aggressive in, in how they defended us the way that Missouri was. Maybe not exactly like Missouri was. They didn't, didn't come with as many heavy run blitzes the way that Missouri did. But at the end of the day, I mean, Curse, that offensive line performance was what we were expecting all year. And it's great that you get a Marius Mims. Like we'll talk about him. But also seeing the young guys at left guard with Fairchild and Morris continue to rotate there. Curtis, we were rotating three guys. We were like a, a, a rotation to tackle, three-man rotation to tackle. And I think all those guys, I think we have like eight or nine guys, maybe even 10 if you throw like Monroe Freeling, that could realistically start for a SEC championship caliber team, which is kind of what we're seeing right now. But here's what made it even more surprising for me. This Ole Miss defense, what they do well is they disrupt. They were second in the SEC and seventh nationally in sacks coming into this game. They were third in the SEC and 17th nationally in tackles for loss coming into this game. One of the most disruptive defenses in all of college football. That's a big reason why they have made such a dramatic improvement defensively overall is they've been disruptive. They've been able to put teams behind the chains. They've been able to get after the quarterback and just make life hell for these opposing offenses. So this was a very disruptive defense. But Curtis, I don't know if you checked. Did you see? Did you have you happened to check the box score and see the uh, the sack and TFL numbers for this game? For Ole Miss? I did. It was uh, we had zeros across the board. Goose eggs, goose eggs, Curtis. No sacks, no tackles for loss. So that is the kind of offensive line performance against a disruptive defensive front that we have been waiting for. And if that is a sign of things to come, Curtis, where we're going to rush for 300 yards on teams and hold that kind of team that disrupts the way they do, hold them to zero sacks, I'm just saying, hey, America, you better watch out. You better watch out. So, I mean, Curtis, that was just not only surprising, but incredibly encouraging for me in this football game. All right, guys, I know this is kind of early for a break, but let's throw one in here real quick before we get into the nitty gritty, the specifics of the offense, the defense. 
Let's talk about our friends at MyBookie. You guys know I trust MyBookie. I'm telling you, I've tried a bunch of different sports books throughout the years, and MyBookie is the one that I've settled on. When I found MyBookie, it was a done deal for me. They made depositing money into my account easy. They made withdrawing my winnings from my account even easier. They always had a ton of great promotions that I could take advantage of. And it's just been a great relationship. And I think you guys can have that relationship with MyBookie too. So if you haven't signed up for a brand new account yet, I know a lot of you have, but if you've been on the fence, now is the time. The college football season is heating up, guys. This is the best time of year. It's getting to championship season. We've already clinched a spot in the SEC title game against Alabama. You know it's getting real in the college football world. So make sure to jump in on all the action while you can by going to MyBookie.ag. Sign up for a brand new account. Use our promo code UGA to get a 50% bonus on your first deposit or if you want a 10% cash bonus that's added straight to your account, zero strings attached, you can use the promo code 200CASH. Whatever you can do, guys, make sure to jump in on the action day with my bookie so you can bet anything, anytime, anywhere, only with my bookie. All right, guys, we are back, and let's shift things to the defensive side of the ball. We normally start with the offense. But we want to give the defense some love here today because when you talk about holding an Ole Miss offense that is as explosive and prolific as that Ole Miss offense is under Lane Kiffin and Charlie Weiss Jr., their offensive coordinator, when you hold that offense to just a little over 350 total yards, you limit Quinshaw Judkins to 75 yards on 22 carries, his first game under 100 yards rushing in well over a month, hold him to 3.4 yards per carry, limit Jackson Dart, who's had a fantastic season, limit him to... 10 of 17 passing for 112 yards, 6.6 yards per attempt. Your defense is doing something right, and we want to give them some love, so we're going to start there today. But first, Curtis, saying all that, I do want to look at one of the issues that we've seen from this Georgia defense now for a couple of weeks. This was the fourth consecutive game, Curtis, that this Georgia defense has allowed our opponent to score a touchdown on its opening drive. Let me start by asking you this. First, how concerning is that for you moving forward? Or am I just making too much of this? It is actually a little concerning to me because especially when teams are getting the ball first, like we'll miss taking it. But just if we defer and things, it's kind of tough and it's frustrating when maybe a couple minutes into the game, we're already behind one score. It feels like right away we've got to play catch up before we can really get into our rhythm and get going like we know we can. And so I think it's just frustrating. And and I think also one of my biggest concerns and frustrations with it is it feels like on every single one of those drives in the last four games, uh, they've done a really good job of converting on third and longs. And I think that's always – Something that, like, when you get in that position, especially against Ole Miss, they were still converting them, and it is loud, and it's just very frustrating. Yeah, on that first drive especially, I guess the first was third and 15 or so, or something like that, third and very long. And they didn't get the first down, but they they drop it off to Juckins. I think it was C.J. Allen. Uh, On the broadcast, I was watching the rewatch, and they called out Jalen Walker. I think it was C.J. Allen who had it responsibly for Juckins on that one. And he gets it down to like within inches. So it's fourth and inches they go for. So they didn't necessarily convert on third down, but they essentially did, right? I mean, they got within position where they were going to be able to continue and sustain the drive. Yeah, and that was one of my things coming in this game. I said that the key for this game, in this game for me, for us to win was to win on first and second down, control their run game, which I think we largely did, give them the third long, which I think we did pretty consistently and force them to 
have to beat us that way because Jackson Dart, I mean, as well as he's played this year, he is really, really good off play action. When they have the run game going and you work play action off of that and you get the defenses with their eyes in the backfield, you got guys running wide down the field. That's when Jackson Dart's a really, really proficient, effective quarterback. But he is not a good drop back passer, Curtis. And that was my thing. If you make Jackson Dart a drop back passer who has to actually go through progressions, then you're going to win the football game. They have no chance to win because he just can't do that. That's just that's why they brought in all those quarterbacks like Walker Howard and Spencer Sanders in the offseason because when Jackson Dart had to do that last year, he couldn't, and he still can't do it this year. But when their ground game's going and he can work play action, he's got simple reads, then sure, things are great. And I do think that we largely got them into those third longs, but you're right. In the, fir- the first drive or two, first three drives, because the first, the second drive, you know, we, we stopped them on fourth down, which was great, stopped them on downs. But two of those first three drives, those scoring drives for them, they were converting at too far, far too high of a rate on third down, which I didn't really expect them to do, considering how well we've been playing on third downs. We get teams in those situations. But I think that was the exception. Those first two of those first three drives, they did pretty well there. But after that, when we got them in the third long, they could do nothing. They, they could do nothing, which is what I felt would be like the entire game. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it is concerning for me. Go back to the, 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 first possession touchdown drives. Curtis. It is concerning because here's the thing, Curtis. It's one thing when it's Vanderbilt and when it's Florida and, and obviously to a lesser degree, Missouri and Ole Miss, those are much better football teams than both those teams are going to be 10 and two when it's all said and done the regular season. But it's one thing. It's those kind of teams when they score first, you know, and then you come back and you match them and you, you pull away. But when you're playing Alabama in a couple of weeks, Curtis, if you maybe knock on wood, hopefully possibly maybe potentially get into a college playoff and you're playing, I don't know, Ohio state, playing Michigan, playing Washington or something, Curtis, it's a little bit of a different story at that point, isn't it, if they, if they score first? Yeah, it really is because that then puts you in a lot worse position. It puts it puts more pressure on you. Now, I mean, I, honestly, if we're playing a good team when we play like we did against South Carolina where we're down four to three, it's a lot harder to come back. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in South Carolina, you know, let's go back to that point, right? So we're down 14-3 at the half, right? Well, at that time, we didn't know necessarily how bad South Carolina was. South Carolina's terrible. We knew how bad their offensive line was. Spencer Rattler was playing at a really high level, which he continues to play at a high level. It's, it's crazy how good he's been concerning all the issues they've had in the offensive line there. But it's one thing, you know, you get down to South Carolina, and you come back, and you win that football game. And same thing with, like, with, with Vanderbilt. Yeah, they score first, blown coverage, whatever. But that's one thing. That's that's not a problem. Like, you don't get worried about it. You're frustrated. You're annoyed by it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, with a, a team like Vanderbilt, it's like, okay, we know we're not going to lose. Just kind of annoyed by it. But when you get to the SEC championship game, you potentially get in a college playoff game, those teams are better. And if they jump out to leads like that, and let's say they stop you on your first drive, all of a sudden now they're up 14 nothing. this is a different story. So we've got to find a way to correct that issue because it is becoming an issue. We had a question from one of our listeners, I think maybe two weeks ago, and he asked the same question I just asked you. Like, how concerned are you about these teams scoring the first drive? And at that point, I kind of like dismissed the question. I was like, well, I mean, it's not really an issue right now. It's just like two games, like whatever. It's just coincidence right now. If it becomes more of an issue, we'll talk about it. Well, Curtis, it has become more of an issue. It has. And that's why we have to talk about it here on the show. But here's the bigger question. What is the issue, Curtis? What is going on? Why are we having so many problems on these opening drives defensively? From my perspective, one of the biggest things is it's kind of like a lack of eye discipline in the first drive. That we're letting all, you know, kind of maybe the new th- little wrinkles that's getting dropped in and all those little things, letting them get to us instead of losing our, and losing our assignments. I, I think that's the biggest thing because then you see later in the game all the stretch plays that Ole Miss were running and all some of those things they had success earlier in the game where we just were making mistakes. All of a sudden we're there shutting it down. I agree with you. I, I do think I discipline is an issue uh, on those first drives, but – why? That, I guess that's my – like, why is it an issue on the first drives and not later in the game? You know what I mean? Like, why is it yeah, happening the, then? That's, that's the million-dollar question, hopefully, that they can hopefully fix. 
I mean, two of those first three drives, 75 yards apiece for touchdowns. And after that, as I mentioned, the next five full drives, 36 yards combined. It's just weird. Yeah, it's almost inexplicable. Like, I've been beating my head against the wall trying to figure this out. Going back and rewatching the games and those first drives over and over again. Guys, I can't tell you. These last three, now four games, three games, now I'm on my second rewatch of Ole Miss already. I cannot tell you how many times I've gone back and just rewound and watched the first drives of these opponents over and over again. Like, what is happening? What are the issues? And it's things that we're not doing the rest of the game. Here's what I've kind of – here's my conclusion, Curtis. And I don't know – I don't know how accurate this is. Now I'm going to throw the Vanderbilt game out, okay, because that that touchdown was a just a blown coverage, right, Tyke Smith? Yeah, that's all that was, honestly. Yeah, that was a blown coverage. I mean, I know they they – Complete a couple passes, you know, before that, but still, I mean, that was a blown coverage, and that's not sustainable. That doesn't we don't do that on the regular? That was just one of those weird, random, fluky things. But the last three games, Curtis, Florida, Missouri, and now Ole Miss. The way I'm looking at this, Curtis, is that those are three really good offensive coaches, right? They have got to their positions because of what they're able to do calling plays with Billy Napier, Eli Drinkwitz. And obviously, Lane Kiffin, I know Lane Kiffin's not technically the offense coordinator calling plays, but he kind of is. It's a shared thing with him and Charlie Weiss Jr. Those are three really, really good offensive minds. Say what you want about Bill Napier. I know Florida's not good. I get that. But he's a good offensive mind, all right? And when they have that time to script up a series against our defense to open the game, those really good offensive minds are doing a hell of a job. They're seeing things on tape that they can attack in our defense, and they are going about doing exactly that. Does does that register with you at all? Or am I just completely reading into things way too much? No, I think that makes sense. And you kind of do see it like kind of like when they have their script and it's going, it's going well. Yeah. I mean, I came into this game. I was talking to my buddies on Friday before the game. We we're talking about, you know, our thoughts on the game. And and I was like, we just need to survive that opening script, man. Like if we can survive that opening script, then I feel really good. Even if we can't, like we'll still be fine because we're better than Ole Miss. But that, that's kind of where I am right now. It's like going to these games and like we've got to survive their opening script. And now, is, is that going to be the case against every team? No, because I don't think every team has the caliber of play callers that we've seen the past couple weeks. And again, I know people don't put Billy Napier on the same level as Eli Drinkwitz and, and certainly Lane Kiffin with his offensive prowess over the years and his reputation. But, I mean, guys, all three of those guys got their head coaching jobs based on how well they call plays. They're really good offensive minds, all right? So I think that's part of it. Now, that's not an excuse because, again – to get to the places that we're going to have to – or to win the games that we're going to have to win to get to the places we want to go, we're going to face some more good offensive minds. And we're going to have to find a way to fix that. You know, let's say, if we, again, if we played Washington, for instance, in the playoff, potentially. Who knows? We say we've got, we've got to beat Alabama first. But if we play them, I mean, Kalen DeBoer, it's a really good offensive mind, man. You know, Ohio State, Ryan Day, really good offensive mind, right? And we saw the kind of issues he gave us last year in the in the Peach Bowl. So those are some, some things that we've got to rectify. I think that has a lot to do with it. I don't know if that's all of it. Certainly not all of it. But I do think that there's a, a lot to it with just having really good play callers. But here's the, the 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 flip side, Curtis, right? Yeah, they've scored on us on these opening drives these last four games. But what about the resilience, you know, the defense being able to come back and figure out what's going on and then really, I don't want to say completely shut them down, but all, in a lot of ways – Certainly with Florida and maybe to a little bit of a lesser degree, Ole Miss, we make those adjustments in game. And all of a sudden now, after that first drive, they are not the same offense. How good do you think that Glenn Schumann is at those in-game adjustments? Oh, huge. I mean, that's what I was actually um, on the way home when I was thinking about the game last night. Uh, that was one of the biggest things, just the, the adjustments we made, especially on those last couple of drives. Because some of these guys, like the uh, especially what you saw or seen from the uh, freshman inside linebackers, but just across the board, it felt like we started dominating the line of scrimmage. 
I think a lot of it had to do with Schumann and, and that defensive staff and their adjustments. Yeah, I, I do think a lot from that. I mean, Glenn Schumann is a fantastic defensive mind. Like we know he's like a wonder kind, right? He's like whiz kid who, you know, comes over to Kirby, gets his first job as an on-field coach under Kirby Smart. He follows him from Alabama and works his way up and becomes team's coordinator when Dan Landing leaves. And and he's been fantastic. I mean, they, they were trying to get him in the NFL last year, Curtis, the Philadelphia Eagles, and we had to pony up to keep him here. And he's, he's not going to be here forever, but every year that we can keep this guy is a great year to be a Georgia Bulldog because he is that good. I think he's doing a great job once he sees what these teams are doing and how they're trying to attack us and going about and trying to make those adjustments and, and, and putting us in a position moving forward the rest of the game to limit what they're doing offensively and give us a chance to pull away, which we've done in each of these last four games, despite the fact that these opponents have scored on that opening drive. Arker, let's move on a little bit here with this defensive performance. Let me ask you this. got two questions here. Most encouraging, most concerning takeaway from the defensive performance. Let's start with the most encouraging thing. What did you see from this defense that was most encouraging to you on Saturday night? I gotta say the play of the inside linebackers. Oh man, you stole it from me. But great call. Just yeah. the, I mean, just the watching them. The, I mean, CJ Allen from he seemed a little timid at first, and then all of a sudden, I mean, he, I think back to I think it was yeah that third down stop. I think in the third quarter, he just he just started playing with so much more confidence as the game went on. Yeah, I think maybe maybe that was part of the issue in those first or two of those first three drives, and they scored those two touchdowns. Him and Raylan Wilson just kind of settling in, you know, that moment being out there in a big game. I mean, CJ has played a lot of football, but starting, right? Starting a game against a team like that in a moment like that, primetime game, Raylan Allen especially, or Raylan Wilson especially, hasn't played a ton, dealt with some injuries early in the year. So I think maybe just adjusting to the to the, to the the flow of the game and just kind of getting settled in, I think maybe that was accounted for a little bit of what Ole Miss was able to do on those first couple of drives. But I thought they both played extraordinarily well. I'm, I've told you guys, Raylan Wilson, I am just sky high on his long-term potential. He is a little bit behind C.J. right now because he did miss that time. But C.J. Allen, I mean, the dude's a beast, man. He led the team in tackles, nine tackles, had a sack, man. He was playing lights out. He did look – I don't – maybe tentative is the right word. I think he looked a little um, hesitant at times. Yeah, I, I would go with that on the first couple of drives. But then he really settled in, man, and he was a different player the rest of the game. Let's let me go ahead and ask it, Curtis. I I, I don't want to kill him because he didn't play, right? But Pop Duke Miss Johnson, he was a regular feature on this show. We always have a segment or two about him. Are we better with CJ Allen and Raylan Wilson on the field as opposed to Pop? Not for the Tennessee game, but I'm gonna think outside of that, every other game after that. Well, maybe not Alabama, but for the most part, yes. I don't know if I'm I just don't know if I'm ready to go there yet. I mean, Pop, I know that. Physically, those two are better than him, right? Like, I, I, don't, I don't really think you can argue that. But the experience, man, I – in some of these games, Tennessee, you mentioned, on the road next week. I mean, that's a that's a tough environment. Alabama, SEC championship game. That's a tough environment, man. And So I, I will say the more that they play, the less of an issue that becomes, right? Because they have more experience. That's just kind of how yeah. that works. Yeah. But, I mean, still, Pop has got so much experience on those guys. The leadership there, too, Curtis, is that not concerned? You're not having him out there on the field in that role? It does, but, I mean, especially for most of this season, maybe up until about the Florida game, that leadership was still at the detriment of the defense. Yeah, I don't think that's completely off base. But I feel like Pop has been playing his best football this season the last couple of weeks. Am I wrong there? Am I seeing things? No, absolutely. That's why I said up until about the Florida game. 
Yeah, he's been playing really well. And I also think, he, you know, we talked about the past couple weeks. I think he's given us a lot as a pass rusher, but I was really encouraged to see. I thought C.J. Allen rushed the passer well. Obviously got that one sack. I thought he rushed the passer well. I thought when Raylan was getting opportunities, Raylan's an incredible athlete. So I know that he can rush the passer. So when they were in opportunities, they looked really good. I would still say right now Pop's a better blitzer. So I don't know if I'm ready to quite say that they're, we're better off with those guys on the field yet. But I will say this. I will say this, Curse. There ain't that much of a drop off at the, at the very least, right? No, not really. And, and that's a that's, very encouraging I think thing. That, I think that is fair to say. Yeah, I think that's a very, very encouraging thing. We can see these are two true freshmen. And what that says about the here now, right now, as Pop's trying to recover, and also what that says moving forward. So, yeah, I'm with you, man. That's exactly what I had as my most encouraging takeaway from this defensive performance, the play of young inside linebackers. Man, those guys are going to be studs. And honestly, like, if we did not have – Pop and smile on the team. Like they would have probably started from day one while Braylon was injured. So he probably wouldn't start maybe with Xavier and Sorry. But as soon as he was healthy, he would have been playing and we would have been totally fine. Those guys are that good. I just don't think there's that much of a drop off. All right, let's go to the other side of things. What was the most concerning takeaway for you from this defensive performance? Well, I, I don't want to say defensive performance, but I think the one of the most concerning things to me is the injury to uh, Julio Humphrey. I actually have my on my list here next to ask you. Let's go and dive into it. How big is that injury how much does that hurt I think it hurts quite a bit um especially you know if we are trying to make a run go, to go farther into the postseason we're going to need people like him especially against teams that have more explosive offenses yeah in case you guys haven't seen the, the official world night it's a broken clavicle which I am not a doctor but going to google and looking up how long does it take to recover from a broken clavicle I saw four months Curtis is that kind of what you're hearing I had not heard anything but I haven't heard anything from like anyone official, but just looking it no, up. No, but I, I had not done the research on the injury. I will say that's fair. Yeah, but from my research, my very quick research into a broken clavicle, and maybe some of you have suffered those, and you can help us out here. I don't know, but it seems like it's uh, a mat- it's a months type recovery, not a matter of weeks type recovery, which is not good. That would essentially put him out for the rest of the season. So that's tough. That's a tough blow for a guy that has been really coming on and playing more and more and playing really, really well. Curtis, we know. We talked a lot on this episode last week about how we came out with a very different defensive look against Missouri to be able to take away Luther Bird. And we were really excited about the possibilities of maybe seeing that moving forward against some of the other passing offense or better passing offenses that we're going to face down the stretch. Can we still do that, Curtis? Is there anyone else that you would trust to put out there? Because we want to put Kamari Laster in those situations against a team like maybe Ohio State. We talked about last week with a guy like Mecca Buka inside. You want to get Kamari Laster matched up on him, but you got to have another corner you feel comfortable with opposite Dalen Everett. Do we have a guy that we can plug and play there right now? I don't – honestly, I, that's where I'm a little concerned because I am not very confident in Nyland Green being the guy. I'm not saying he can't, but there's a reason you know, he dropped all the way to, to third. What about A.J. Harris? Young town um, freshman. That's the only one – that one does pique my interest, but we haven't really seen enough of him to truly – Yeah, we haven't seen a ton know. of him, but, I mean, it, it's like next man up, right? I mean, we hadn't seen a ton of Raylan, Raylan Wilson until the past couple of weeks, and all of a sudden he's out there and he's playing at a really high level, playing really well for us in his first like extended time out there on the field. I think A.J. Harris is one of those guys like Raylan, you know, a young, super talented, super physically gifted freshman who hasn't necessarily played a ton, but you have had all this time, all these reps at practice – during the season where you've gotten to work and you've gotten chance to get reps and get better. And maybe, I mean, look, I don't know. I'm not saying I don't have no inside knowledge there. I'll ask about it. I have no idea, but I'm just putting that out there. It might be a guy that we want to put him out there and see what he can do. Maybe we give him some opportunities in the next couple of weeks, but you're right with Nyland Green, Curtis. I mean, he was in the thick of the conversation. He has been in the thick of the conversation at cornerback in those battles for the past couple of years and just never been able to quite break through. I think he's a good player, but 
do we trust him out there in those situations right now? I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. So I think that does throw a little wrinkle in some of our plans against some of these teams down the road that are going to be able to throw the football, especially from that slot position. Tennessee, Curtis, you know, we've talked about before, the slot position for Tennessee is the premier position in that offense. So I was expecting to see some more of that against Tennessee, even though they do like to run the football, which is tougher when we're in that package. So I don't know. It's going to be very interesting to see how we respond to that injury. I know Humphrey hasn't been a starter, so you kind of like brush it off. So that's not that big of a deal. He's not a starter. But to beat some of the teams that we're going to have to beat, his presence, his ability to come out there and cover allows us to do some different things from a versatility standpoint defensively that could really help us. So I don't know. I'm, I'm very curious to see what the answer is going to be there. It, it certainly doesn't help to have that guy go down. You can say that. It, it is a blow of some sort. Uh, it's not a blow that we can't recover from, but we're going to have to create it. We're going to have to find some ways to replace what he was able to give us there. Because I think when we talked about last week, Curtis, I, I would have been okay if he started the game against Ole Miss. I thought he had played well enough to earn that. And we went with, we went to Everett, but Humphrey got there early and off and was playing and unfortunately went down. And the hit didn't even seem like – I was going back and doing the rewatch. It didn't even seem like it was that tough of a hit. Like it barely even made contact in the tackle. But I guess you just fall the wrong way, and it is what it is. All right, for me, Curtis, my most concerning takeaway – is the red zone defense, man. We talked about this before. Not even red zone defense. I'm going to take it a step further here. It's the goal to go defense. Did you see this stat? I had, I honestly didn't, I was not aware of this. I'll, I'll own it. I was not aware of this particular stat. We've been all over how bad we've been in the red zone defensively and the dramatic fall off from where we were last year, which we were the best in the country. Now we're like in the 100s. But watching the rewatch, I had no clue. They put the stat with, I think it was their first drive when they got into the red zone or it was goal to go on their first drive. And we were, we were allowing touchdowns on 10 of 11 drives where our opponents had goal-to-go situations. And now, after Saturday, Curtis, it's 12 of 13. Oof, 12 of 13 times. Bad. Yeah, 12 of 13 times our opponents have had goal-to-go situations, and we have allowed them to score touchdowns. That is unacceptable. You cannot win national championships with those numbers, Curtis. That You cannot. That's got to change. We have got to bow our necks at some point and force field goals. I know our offense is humming right now. I know that. I get that. But we're going to play better football teams, and we have got to hold teams to field goals. That is absolutely potentially the difference between winning and losing football games and the SEC championship game and the playoff game. Absolutely it is, Curtis. We've got to be able to do a better job of that. What is the issue? When you look at those, those numbers, Curtis, 12 of 13, Goal to go situations, opponents are scoring touchdowns. What is the issue? It's really hard to really truly pinpoint it because it just feels like there's a lot of issues. I mean, you go back to the Ole Miss, and we get, I think it, we they get knocked back to the 15, if I'm not mistaken, uh, after a penalty. And yet they just run the ball to the left and run right in almost untouched. Unbelievable, man. You're exactly right. Unbelievable. I think I can pinpoint it, Curtis. I think it's a defensive line. That's what it comes down to for me we've talked about it all year. Like we we're good. We're good on defensive line. We are relative to the rest of the country, but we are not typical Georgia good on defensive line right now. And I know we've said this a million times, but that is the issue, Curtis. We're not winning consistently at the line of scrimmage with our defensive line in those situations. And we're not able to stop the run as well. And when we aren't we don't have the guys that eat eat the space the way that Jordan Davis does or is dominant and demand double teams the way that Jalen Carter did then those extra bodies who used to be taking up blocking our interior defensive linemen, now they're able to get up on our inside linebackers. And now those guys are not running free like they used to be the past couple of years. To me, that is the issue. And that is what concerns me, Curse. That is my biggest concern the rest of the way this season. If there's anything that keeps us from winning a national title, in my opinion, that is it. That is it, Curtis. So we've got – and we now, to our credit, we've been really, really good. Here's the reason why it hasn't killed us. 
We've been really good not allowing teams to get into the red zone. We're one of the best in the country not allowing them to get in the red zone. But when they get in the red zone, Curtis, they're scoring touchdowns, especially when they get go-to-go situations. And I don't know if there's a magic answer there. I don't think there is. Now, I think we can still get better. Like, we can – instead of giving up 12 of 13, maybe we give up, like, 7 of 13. Like, I'll, I'll take that. We yeah, I mean, that, that would – even just getting it down to that would be a major victory at this point. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I'm not expecting this to, like, you go 100% and go to go. But, like, we're basically giving them 100% touchdowns. Like, that cannot continue – because I'm telling you, if it does, we are not winning the national championship. And that's my biggest concern. So, yeah, I mean, it reared its ugly head again in this game. I know it didn't cost us ultimately because we're just better than Ole Miss and we outscored them. When we, you know, our offense is, is killing people right now. But, man, that that has got to change. Got to change. All right, last thing on the defense curse before we move over to the offensive side of the ball. Let me just uh, wrap it up here with this question. Where would you rate this defensive performance in relation to the other games this season? Was this the best defensive performance that we've seen from this defense all year? I think it was, and the reason I say that is because I think the defensive line actually dominated the game for the first time in a long time. Yeah, I think the only other game that I think I would make a strong argument for is I would say Kentucky, because we held Kentucky to 183 yeah, yards. Yeah, but I, and the only reason I say that – It's stuck on offense. Not, exactly. I think that Ole Miss has such a – their offense is so much better is the only reason I don't yeah. view it that way. I, I agree with you. I think this was our best defensive performance of the season. Especially after those last those those two of those first three drives, and they scored those two touchdowns on two of those drives. Because after that, Curtis, we you you put out the numbers earlier, what 55 yards until garbage time. I believe we shut them down. Right. Yeah, something along those lines. We shut them down. We shut them down after that. And Curtis, I go back, and I mean, I was saying coming to this game, you know, this was the best team that we faced all year. I said Missouri was two weeks ago, and then this week it was Ole Miss. And I stand by that. It's a really good offensive football team, a much improved defensive football team. And outside of those first two drive, two of those first three drives, we completely took them out what they wanted to do. We shut down their run game, which is what they do really, really well. Quinshaw Jenkins had four straight 100-yard rushing games. Now he's healthy. I mean, this guy's just been rolling, and he didn't get rolling against us. He had a couple of nice runs in those, in the, in those early drives, but really nothing after that. You're right. If you go back look at the, by the numbers, it's Kentucky, 183 total yards, 3.7 yards per play. Numerically, statistically, that was the best defensive performance. But you're right, Curtis. Kentucky is just not good on offense. They cannot throw the football to save their life. So if you factor in the opponent and what we were able to do to that opponent, limited to the 352 total yards, 5.1 yards per play, yes, I do believe that this was the best performance from this Georgia defense that we have seen all season. Okay, guys, we're about to move things over to the offensive side of the ball. But first, let me remind you about our great friends at Alumni Hall. I know a lot of you stopped in on your way into town for the game this weekend because I heard from a lot of you on social media. But if you couldn't make it to Athens this weekend, it's all good. You can still find all the same great Georgia gear that you find in store online. Just go to alumnihall.com. They have a great easy to use online system. You can link your account online and use all the same rewards programs or hall pass reward program where you get $10 for every $150 that you spend in store. And they've got all the brands, guys, whether it's Nike, Cutter and Bug, Peter Millar, Johnny O, Nike Golf, whatever you're looking for, they've got it. They've got all the different styles. They've got, for all the cold weather months coming up here, they've got Q-zips, they've got hoodies, they've got full zips, they've got jackets, they've got beanies, hats, anything you guys want that's got a G on it. Alumni Hall is going to have you covered. And they have all the vintage gear that you could ever possibly dream of. I'm a huge vintage Georgia logo guy. And they have stuff that I just don't find anywhere else at Alumni Hall. So stop in if you're like me and pick up the best Georgia vintage gear that you're going to find anywhere. So check them out today because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldogs shop. 
All right, Kurt, let's flip things over to the offensive side of the ball. Now, offensively, Curtis, this was statistically the best performance that we have seen from a Georgia offense since we put up 656 yards on Arkansas State back in 2019, all the way back in 2019. It's hard to believe it was that 2019 offense, how bad that offense got at the end of the season, Curtis. Yeah, it's actually really hard to believe that. Yeah, it was 2019, 656 against Arkansas State. But 611 yards in this game against Ole Miss, 52 points, 63% on third downs, only one punt the entire game. Obviously, a ton to be excited on the opposite side of the ballers, obviously. But what was the most encouraging part of the offensive performance for you in this game? I'm going to say the success of the run game. Got to be. That's what, that's what I've got on my list here, too. 300 yards rushing, Curtis, the first time since back in 2020, the COVID year, so when we played Mizzou late in that season, that's the first time that we've gone for over 300 yards rushing since that game. It's been a minute, man. It's been a minute. What was the difference in this game? Uh, to me, I think the biggest thing is offensive line. They were opening huge holes, and you mentioned it earlier. We did a good job of getting to the second level, and I think that was the difference, especially, uh, you know, I've seen the replays, especially the Kendall Milton touchdowns. Tate, uh, I think it's the third quarter that when he breaks for about 30-something yards, Tate did a really good job yeah. of getting to the second level. Absolutely, man. We were running some duo, we we're running some inside zone, and that's one of the issues that I've had with this offensive line early in the season was we were doing a terrible job, number one, of even getting to the second level, and then number two, when we got to the second level, we weren't blocking a soul. We were just looking at people, and people, were just, and they were just, and the linebackers just running around making plays. And it's like, what, what are we doing? I know that you've done this before. I've seen you do it many, many times. What's happening? And we saw a vintage performance from that George offensive line. And I think that's a huge part of what we, of why we were so successful running the football against Ole Miss. So I had the same thing here on my nose curse, but I'm going to take it a little bit of a same direction, but maybe a, a slightly different aspect of it. So I'm going to be a little bit more specific here. The most encouraging part of the performance for me from yesterday's game offensively was Kendall Milton, Kendall Milton, specifically Kendall Milton. He only had nine carries, man, only nine carries. But 127 yards rushing, 14.1 yards per carry, two touchdowns, and broke up a 51-yarder, 33-yard touchdown run. Curtis, not only was he physical, he was explosive. When is the last time you have been able to say Kendall Milton's explosive, Curtis? When is the last time? Uh, probably been at the end of last season when, when he was yep. finally healthy for the first time in a long time. Yep. Absolutely. And the way that he's running, Curtis, you know, when – I know he's played through a lot of these injuries, but the hamstring is really what's given him more issues than anything, right? And over the past couple of years when he's been dealing with that hamstring, it's like he doesn't even fully like extend his legs. Like his, it's, it's messed with his running form. You can tell. And it's absolutely slowed him down. So the explosiveness was not there. I don't think he, he was running with as much power because I, I think there was some tentativeness there. That has all changed. I don't know if Kendall's 100% right now. I do not know. But it looks like he's as close to it as we've seen in a long time. And damn it, man, that is big-time news for the Georgia Bulldogs. As this guy is finally healthy and finally able to run the way that we all thought he would run when we got him out of California back in, you know, whatever, how many years ago it was? Was, 20, was he the 2020 class? Is that what he was? Uh, no, he was before that. He, I think he, he was, was 20, here. No, he was, no, it was 2020 class. Yeah, he was 20. Yeah, the 2020 class. I think 2020. Somebody double check me on that. Do the math there. But I think it was the 2020 class. But he was a big time recruit coming out there. He was the same year as Zach Evans, Curtis. That's right. Yeah. He was. Yeah, he was. He, it, was it was him and Zach Evans that were in that class. And Kendall was the one that we ended up getting. Dejan Edwards comes in along with. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was 2020. 
So, yeah, Kino's been here for a long time, man, and we have high expectations for him, and it's never really it's never really translated to the field because he's been dealing with so many different injuries on such a consistent basis his entire career. So to see him be able to have this kind of success, it, it warms my heart for him because of how much he's had to overcome the adversity, but it's also incredibly good for us, Kirst, because this run game is different when we have Kendall Milton running the football like that. Curse, I'm talking, he is running through people, running down people's throats, diving in the end zones, carrying people, breaking off long runs. This is Kendall Milton that we expected to see all those years ago. We just really haven't seen. You match him with what we know Dejon Edwards gives us on a very consistent basis. This has a chance to be a scary good rushing attack moving into the most important part of the season. And you match that with what I said earlier, the most surprising and most maybe the most encouraging thing overall for me this entire game was the play of our offensive line. If our offensive line's playing like that and we're getting healthy there with Marius Mims coming back and now you know, Milton's running like that, Dajan's just doing what Dajan does, this running game has a chance to take it to the next level. And that with what we're able to do in the passing game of Carson Beck, we are going to become incredibly difficult to stop. We are, already are insanely difficult to stop offensively with all the weapons that we have, but it's going to become that much more difficult. If Kendall can stay healthy, knock on wood, I'm going to put that out there. But, man, love it. Absolutely love it there. So, Kendall, big-time props there. I'll throw one more thing out here too, Curtis, since you took the, the rushing game. Five out of six times that we got into the red zone, we scored touchdowns. Five of six scoring touchdowns in the red zone, Curtis. As bad as we've been in the red zone defensively, We've been that good offensively, which has kind of helped mitigate some of those red zone defensive issues. And we saw that again on Saturday, five of six of those possessions inside the red zone, we put touchdowns on the board. So if that continues, that's obviously a really good sign for us moving into the future. But all right, Kurt, this one's hard for me because we were so dominant offensively against Ole Miss. Like we, it felt like we were doing just pretty much whatever we wanted to do. But let's nitpick here, man. What was the most concerning part of the offensive performance for you? I'd have to say probably the way we ended this first half. With uh, the interception there? Yeah, it was kind of – it was a weird thing with the clock. Take management. a timeout before that? Yeah, and then um, where we get to go kind of Carson almost wanted to go for a touchdown type play where Kirby wanted to just kind of keep it go short more likely and just kick the field goal. How much do you put the interception on Carson? Um, A little. I, I think I do actually because he, he – it felt like he was a little aggressive on that throw. Thought he forced it? I, th- yeah. I can hear that argument. Yeah. The ball, it was well thrown. It could have been caught. So I don't want to. I, I don't know if I want to call it a fluke interception, but I don't think. I don't think it was a horrible decision. It's late in the half. You know, time's running out. We didn't call a timeout, so he's trying to make a play. You're right. The head coach obviously wants to take a check down there, take the take the sure yards, and kick a field goal. Carson thought he saw something, and I don't want to blame him too much there because the play was the guy. I thought it was a tight window. It was a very tight window. So you're right. You're probably right, Curtis. In that scenario. In that spot, with time running out like that, you probably just take what you can get, kick the field goal, go in a half, up three scores. And that's – I was frustrated because I was like, damn, man, we could have been up three scores. So, yeah, I probably put that on him, but I don't think it was a, an egregiously bad decision. It was a good throw. The throw was there, just, you know, one of those tip balls, kind of fluky kind of things. But, yeah, I guess we probably put that on him. But yeah, I, I, I guess if we're nitpicking here, Curtis, that is one thing you can nitpick there for me. And this is not a new thing. I'm just going to add to the chorus. I still want to see us hit more vertical shots down the field. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I do get that, yeah. We're just – we're not taking a ton of them, and we don't have to, Curtis. Again, you're putting up 611 yards, 52 points without taking all these deep shots down the field. That's fine. I Hey, man, whatever it takes to score points to put up yards. That's the name of the game. Scoring points, that's what we're all about. How you do it is just a means to an end. 
But I feel at some point we're going to need to be able to take the top off the defenses with those vertical shots. And we hit one to Ladd. It was kind of an underthrown ball that – I mean, Ladd hit the double move. You know what I'm talking about, Curtis? Remember that one? Should yeah, yeah. He, just, he underthrew him a little bit, but Ladd ran an amazing route and still did a good job to get the ball to the one. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Ladd's just a beast. But, hey, I'll, I'll say this for Carson. I'd much rather him underthrow than overthrow it because at least you can complete if you underthrow it. So, exactly, yeah. You can – things can happen like what happened with Ladd. Yeah, and I honestly I think that looked like maybe that's his mentality. It's like he's so open. Let me just not miss him. Let me just put it out there and make sure he catches the ball. Now, would you like to see him hit him in stride and, and run the end zone for a touchdown? Of course, absolutely. I do, and that's what I'm saying. That's that's still my if I'm concerned, quote unquote, about anything from the offense performance, it would be that. We just gotta find a way. I, I like to see us take more of those shots and obviously hit more of those shots. I do think that we're going to need to at some point here when we play, you know, Alabama or maybe even Tennessee and even stadium next week, or maybe potentially possibly, hopefully in the college football playoffs. So yeah, if I'm a nitpick, that's what I would nitpick. All right, Kurt, a couple things here real quick on the offense before we move to the game balls. A couple guys, a couple of key players returned from injury. We would be remiss. I can't believe that it's gone. We've been going, what, 45 minutes or so? Second, 45 minutes for us to mention the name Brock Bowers Curtis, an absolute icon, a Georgia hero. What did you make of how Brock looked out there on Saturday? I was actually kind of in shock when the rumor started that he was going to play. I didn't expect him. I expected him to play, but I only expected him to be there probably on a handful of snaps, maybe a, a dozen snaps. I didn't expect to see him out there as much as he was. And I mean, honestly, if you didn't know better, you would kind of be shocked that he'd been missing time. I don't think he looked any different than Brock normally looks. The naked eye, you know, I mean, I, Maybe I'm missing something. I thought he looked like Brock Bowers. Now, maybe he's hurting right now, probably a little bit. But in the moment, Curtis, I thought Brock Bowers looked a lot like Brock Bowers. I know he didn't get a ton of touches, got the touchdown. The first catch, you know, he made on uh, with the little, like, jump cut, it was like a seven, eight-yard game. But it's like, that's Brock Bowers, baby. He's back, man. Just seeing those kind of things. It was, it was a sight for sore eyes, man, to get him back like that. I did have on um, pretty good authority that he – not pretty good, very good authority that he was going to play and play a lot. I did not put that out here on the show. and I, I kind of went back and forth on this um, to put it out there or not because I, I didn't want to be – not that – I mean we're a mom-and-pop shop. I know like we're not going to change lines or anything like that, and no one, not that many people are paying attention to us. But I didn't want to be the guy to put it out there. And I know other people saying, oh, he's going to play, but I was told he was working with the first team pretty much all week. And when I heard that, I was like, oh, uh, he must be fine then. He must be 100%, 100% go. And then at Chick-fil-A on Saturday, um, one of my uh, my brother-in-law actually overheard, I think it was Jim Donnan. Uh, he texted me. He's like, yeah, Jim Donnan says he's 100% playing. Or well, he's one of the former coaches. I think it was Jim Donnan. And so that on top of what I was told all week that he was working with the number ones, I was like, oh, yeah, Brock's, Brock's fine. So I, I felt pretty strong about that. But again, I just didn't want to be the guy to put that out there because um, I didn't want to incur any wrath or maybe put some voodoo out there that would – mess with the Brock Bowers universe. But yeah, I mean, I thought he looked really good, man. And getting Brock back for this game and for really just having him get through a game playing Curtis and get over the mental hurdle there. If there was a mental hurdle, I don't know. Brock's a different kind of guy, but having him be able to get that game in now heading to Knoxville, that makes me feel a lot better about that game. How much does the turf up there in Knoxville concern you with Brock? It, it really does concern me quite a bit, but I mean, to be honest, it, it concerns me with every player on our team because that turf is just historically so bad. Yeah, I remember we were sitting like right there when Nick Chubb's injury occurred. I was, just, yeah, and it was, yeah, it was brutal. That was tough, man. So I, again, I don't even know why I say these things. I don't want to speak them into existence, but yeah, it, it's it's at least mildly concerning. At least I, it's at least a thought in my mind. Let's say that. 
But uh, as great as it was to see Brock out there, Curtis, he was not the only big-time contributor making his return from injury against Ole Miss. Amarius Mims, right tackle extraordinaire, first-round talent, did make his long-awaited return, like essentially two months for Amarius. It was week three, Curtis. Finally got his his first snaps back there in a game. He's been dressed out the last two weeks but did not play, but that changed against Ole Miss. What did you make of Mims's play? It was actually really nice to see him back out there. I may be incorrect, but it felt like on at least two of the big big runs – he was – it was behind him and Tate Ratledge over there. Yeah, I don't want to say – I think the word dominant is too strong of a word, but I thought he looked really good, man. I thought he was moving people. I thought he looked really good in pass pro. I thought he moved around really, really well. Quick feet out there. I Like Brock, I felt looked like Brock Bowers. I felt like Amarius Mims looked like the Amarius Mims pre-injury, what we saw the first couple of games, and even going back to, to last year. So that was also really, really encouraging. And what we did there, because that was the – I knew he was going to play – I did not know how much he was going to play. He didn't start. He ended up playing a ton, though, as the game went on. But my biggest question was, okay, what is it? What does the offensive line look like? One of our, our listeners asked that question for the mailbag last week. What, did, what does it look like? And I said at the time, my response to that question was, I, I don't think you can move trust back to left guard. I think that Dylan Fairchild and Micah Morris are playing far too well at that spot right now. We have a really good thing going there at this point. I don't think you want to mess with that. So I feel like Trust might be the odd man out, but then you think, well, he's a senior, you know, and does Kirby really want to do that to a senior here late in the season like this? I don't think he wants to do that. So we're probably going to find a way to, to get him some snaps, maybe rotate him in, and that's exactly what we saw. There's Ernest Green uh, and Marius Mims and Xavier Trust. Where it was a three-man rotation. So when Mims came in at right tackle, we moved Trust over to left tackle for a series, and you have Green for a tackle for uh, at left tackle for a series. And then Trust comes back at right tackle for a series, and Mims is on the bench. And that was the rotation that we saw. Do you expect that to continue in the future, Curtis? I'm not sure I do because I think as more we go into the season, yeah, we'll still rotate because that's kind of who we have always been to a degree. But I think it's definitely going to be shortened. The rot- It's going to be shortened up. What I would say, here's my expectation. I think the reason we were rotating a three-man rotation there and like having Mims go sit on the bench for a couple of series was we were trying to work Mims back in, right? This is his first action in two months. And so just getting him some – getting his his wind back up, getting his conditioning back up, and just getting back out there, getting back in the swing of things. But as that continues to improve, as he gets his conditioning back, I have a hard time thinking you're going to take Mary's Mims off the field. I think that would be crazy, to be honest with you. So I expect there to be a two-man rotation at left tackle. I think Ernest Green has played a lot better as the season has gone on, but he's still a work in progress right now. And Xavier Truss has, was a work in progress at right tackle. But I think he gives – you know, I don't think there's much of a drop-off between Truss and Green. So I expect there to be a rotation there. Like Again, with Truss being a senior, we're just – I don't think we're going to bench the guy completely. I think he's going to get some snaps. He's going to get some series here and there. But I think that's going to be at left tackle. I just – when Mims gets back to where our coach is like, he's fully healthy, he's fully conditioned, I just have a hard time thinking he comes off the field. So I think it's going to be a two-man rotation at left tackle eventually. I don't know when that happens. just matters how quickly Mims can get his conditioning back. But when that happens, I expect it to, to be a, a two-man rotation at left tackle. All right, Curtis, last segment here. As we always do, we're going to wrap things up by hanging out our game balls for the top performances of the week. I've got a nice little list here, Curtis. I'm sure you do too. I'm going to let you kick things off. Who gets your first game ball of the week? Uh, my first game ball of the week goes to uh, Kendall Milton. You mentioned him earlier, but, I mean, that, this is what I was planning on going with. Just the way he came out and ran nine carries, 127 yards, explosive plays. I mean, it's hard. It's impossible not to go with him. 
I mean, Curtis, if he continues to run like that, I'm dead serious, man. It changes everything for us offensively. I mean, we've been so good offensively already, but we have a guy like that to go along with Dajan that can be powerful and explosive. Man, I, I just don't know how you stop our offense. This is going to be tough for anybody. So great pick there. He was definitely number one on my list. I figured you'd take him there. I'm going to go with 1A on my list. I got C.J. Allen. We talked about him earlier. True freshman making his first career start in a big moment. I I had some concerns coming in this game, Curtis. You know, I my my biggest issue, my biggest concern with this matchup against Ole Miss was how they use misdirection and how they use shift and motion to create matchups. And when you have a true freshman who hasn't played a ton of football, doesn't have the experience that Pop Dumas Johnson has, I felt that there could potentially be some issues with his eyes in the wrong spot and create some mismatches and create some explosive play opportunities. And we saw some of that, Curtis. In two of those first three drives, those two scoring drives, but he really, really settled in. And as the game wore on, I mean, he was unbelievably good. Again, I'm not ready to say that we're better with him and Wilson out there inside linebacker than Pop, but I will say, once again, there ain't that much of a drop-off. So C.J. Allen, big-time performance, very encouraging as we as we continue to see Pop recover from this uh, fracture in his forearm. Nine tackles a sack, big-time performance for C.J. Allen, definitely gets my first game ball. All right, who you got next? Um, next, you got to go with Carson Beck. I mean, just outside that one pick, another great performance from him. Kind of He's what we're now becoming accustomed to. Yeah, at this point, I mean, I said it earlier in the year, and I just, I, I still mean it. Like, we, we should just lock in a spot for him every week because he's just so consistently good. So consistently good. 72% completion percentage, 306 yards passing, two touchdowns. Yes, the one pick. I don't, again, I don't think it was an egregiously bad pick. Probably his fault, but I don't, I wouldn't kill him for that one. But yeah, I mean, Carson's just, he's unbelievably good, man. Did you notice, Curtis, that he did not walk for senior day? What did you make of that? I find it interesting because, I mean, I'm not sure if it's a, you know, done deal that he's gone. And the only reason I say that is just because you look at the quarterback class ahead of him or, you know, that he's going to be going against in the draft. He may make some more money by staying. So, when you know, it, it is interesting. Because think about the NIL money he could make by coming back, right? Big time. Big time NIL money. Not NFL money, but still NIL money. And if he comes back and has another year like he has had this year, Curtis, we're talking about potentially the number one pick in the draft. Potentially. I'm not saying he's going to be that. But he'll have a shot. He'll have a shot. And you're right. With this quarterback class this year, he might – could potentially sneak in late first round, maybe early second round. But he's not going to be one of the two or three top guys taken. He will be next year. He will be. So it's – I know he's been in college. This is year four, and you want to you wanna go ahead and start making that money. I get that. But if you can potentially be the first pick, and I, again, there's no guarantee that's going to happen. But if he's done what he's done this year as a first-time starter, I mean, Kurt, think about how good this guy can be next year. So I think there's a very legitimate shot. I felt all year with the quarterback draft class this year that there's a really good shot he would come back, and him not walking for senior day, that doesn't necessarily mean he's not going pro. I mean, he can still go pro if he wants to. But I, that's another sign to me that this guy is at least strongly considering right now, maybe even leaning right now, coming back next year. So we'll see. There'll certainly be a storyline to watch here in the next couple of months. All right, great call there. I'm going to go Lab McConkie, man. Like, dear God, Curtis, since this man has come back, he has just been a force. Four catches, 81 yards. Would have been more if he hadn't got injured on that little run. And he could have gone back in. I was a little concerned. They was like, oh, my God, like, no, Lab, please not another ankle. Apparently, he was fine, though, lowered a little bit, but it's no big deal. He'll be fine next week. At least that's the word for now. But Lad McConkey, you know, talk about Kendall Milton changing the offense. Lad McConkey being healthy, Curtis, also changes the offense. He was such a revelation for us with Brock being out. And, like, it's hard to say that, that Lad McConkey's a revelation because we know who he is, but he hadn't been that guy all year. And when he was able to come back and fill in 
not fill in for Brock, but take over being the focal point of the offense in the absence of Brock Bowers against Florida and Missouri. It's it's such a luxury to have a guy like that, and now you can match him and Brock together to go along with Dejan Edwards and now Kendall Milton. You still got Dominic Lovett, who I think I mean we saw him have the most explosive play of his career last night. I, again, Chris, I keep going back to it. This offense is going to be hell for anyone to stop. I don't care how good your defense is. And I know Alabama's defense is good. I know Tennessee's defense is really good. But man, if unless we shoot ourselves in the foot, which is possible. I mean, we're talking about college players. I just don't know how you stop the offense. I just don't know. So I, I got to give Lad a game ball there, man. A big time performance once again from Mr. McConkey. All right, who you got next? You actually mentioned this person earlier, but I wanted to give credit to uh, Schumann and kind of Muschamp and Kirby and maybe most of the defensive staff and all the adjustments they made in game to really shut down Ole Miss's uh, offense. Yeah, I, it's funny you have that, Curtis, because actually I have, I have a long list here, but on my list I have Kirby Smart, Glenn Schumann, Mike Bobo. Because <laughs> we normally don't give coaches game balls, right? Yeah, we don't normally, but I felt like this was just one of those games. Yeah, I mean, I think they earned it. I mean, when you when you limit this Ole Miss offense, who is as prolific as they are, to what we what we limit them to, I think the defensive staff certainly deserves a lot of credit for that. And Mike Bobo, Curtis, all I don't, you know, people are allowed to have your opinion. So if you didn't like Mike Bobo before the season, if you weren't on board the hire, you know, it's okay. You get we get some right, we get some wrong. I've been wrong before. I've gotten some right. Everybody misses on some. Everybody hits on some. But I was very confident in Mike Bobo. I was extraordinarily confident, and I took some heat from that from from some listeners saying, "Oh, you're just you're just a, a Georgia guy. You're a homer here. You can't really see through outside of your red and black glasses." And I was like, "Okay, maybe possibly, but also, I've seen Mike Bobo do it. I've seen Mike Bobo produce the most prolific offense in Georgia history without the kind of talent that he's gonna have to work with. So why can he not do that again?" I, I just I, to me it was I, it was pretty clear that he was going to be at least very good. He had a very high floor. The ceiling remained to be seen, but the floor that was very very high. And Mike Bobo has come in, Curtis, and I know that Todd Munkin was fantastic. And I'm not trying to take anything away from what Todd Munkin did. That man helped deliver us two national championships. I will forever love Todd Munkin. I will forever appreciate that man. But, Curtis, this offense, has it really skipped much of a beat? It really hasn't. Not when you look across the board. It has not, Curtis. And I know stats aren't everything because, you know, defenses are different from year to year. Personnel is different. I understand all that. But in three years at Georgia as offense coordinator – we did not put up one single game of 600 more yards of offense under Todd Munkin. And that's not me ripping Todd Munkin. I love Todd Munkin. He was fantastic, amazing. But we've done that twice this year, Curtis. 608 yards in Kentucky, 611 is Ole Miss. Twice over 600 yards. Twice, Curtis. We averaged 10 yards per play. 10 yards per play last night against Ole Miss. That is unbelievable heard of Curtis we averaged a first down every time we snapped the football 10 yards per play so if you weren't with Mike Bobo before the season that's okay again we all got get some wrong but can we all just sit here now and hold hands and sing kumbaya and say thank god Mike Bobo's offense coordinator because this man has been nothing short of spectacular for us this year especially you factor in all the injuries Curtis Lad McConkey gone for pretty much half the season brought Bowers last year games gone Running back room was a mash unit for the majority of the year. First time starter at quarterback, and we've been this good on offense? That's insane. That's insane. Mike Bobo, unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable year. I, I do not have enough complimentary words for what Mike Bobo has done with this offense this year. It has been truly nothing short of spectacular, in my opinion. So, yes, defensive staff for sure, but I got to give my man Mike some, some love here. So, everyone I know, you can call me a homer. I know people criticize me about that when he first got hired, but – 
hey, I think it's kind of worked out. Kind of worked out. All right. Anything else on your list, Kurt? No, I think that really hit it. I got one quick one. Maybe it's an honorable mention. I don't know if it rises to the level of game ball. I thought Nas Stackhouse had his best game of the year. Thought he yeah, played really I, well. I, I can agree with that. Like from start to finish, this was his most complete game. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy who's preseason all SEC coming in the year. He's played well. He hasn't been bad, but he has not been as I don't think he's been as good as he was last year. Now, maybe last year having Jalen Carter next to you helped out, but I think Nas is playing better and better as the year's gone on. You know, he's not that kind of guy. He's not a Jordan Davis kind of guy. He's not as big as that. He's not gonna get as much of a pass rush from the interior, but he gave us a little bit of one on Saturday. Got he notched a sack, and I thought he did a really good job controlling the interior of that offensive line and helping to limit their run game, especially after those those two scoring drives early in that game. So I thought Nas played really well. And that's another really encouraging sign for us moving forward. If he continues to play like that for us, that's a huge boost to the middle of our defense. It's like, we, we know we're not as dominant against the run this year as we have in years past, well-documented, but Nas, if he can take his game up a level, I think that's certainly going to help in that regard. All right, guys, that does it for today here on the Glory UGA podcast. What a win, 52-17. We have now made it through Two top 15 matchups these last two weeks, guys, but the tough stretch is not over by any stretch of the imagination. We head to Knoxville next week. You guys know that. I know they're coming off a tough loss to Missouri. This is still a very capable Tennessee team, and they are out for blood after what happened last year in Athens. It's going to be a tough environment, good football team, and we got to be ready to bring that A game once again, but we'll have you guys covered for that game all week long, but if you haven't sent in your mailbag questions yet, we've got a lot of them coming in, but we still have room for a few more, so you can hit us up on Twitter at Glory underscore UGA, you can find us on Instagram, Glory UGA Podcast, just search for that, or you can email us at Glory UGA Podcast at gmail.com, we appreciate each and every one of you, thank you guys for being here, I hope you had a fantastic football weekend. We've only got a couple of them left, guys. Literally, we only have like two real regular season college football Saturdays left, which is insane to say. But let's live them up, guys. Let's enjoy them while we got them. But I hope you all have a fantastic week. We'll have you guys cover the rest of the week, so keep on coming back for more. But for Curtis, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs.